Stop well. sexting, Gordon. I'm, sexting, I'm not sexting on, on DutchNews.nl, he thank you. Sexting. He's brexting. He's, sexting. Oh, he's brexting. I'm brexting. It's Friday, February 8th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Golden Age Polster. And with me today are Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and International Fashion Advisor, and Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Weird Dutch Name Discoverer. Gordon, let's start with your discovery. My discovery? Uh, well, it's an ongoing discovery, really, that to Dutch people give their children in- incongruous names. Um, but the, um, we can... The weirdest names. The weirdest yeah. names, but uh, they even, we, we hit real peak weird Dutch name this week <laughs> because I discovered there's a footballer who's playing for Heerenveen um, whose name is, well, his surname is Hornkamp. So if your surname is Hornkamp, it's a really little bit, uh, you know, you've got to tread it's a little already... bit carefully, should we say? <laughs> what first name do you think you would give your child? If you, if, 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 Taco. Taco. Okay. Yeah. I, would, I would name my child Taco. Okay, you wouldn't call him Jizz. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, it's Yiz, to be fair. I was unaware that Jizz was a name. Well, so was I. I know now. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Hornkamp know. <laughs> and they've therefore called their son Jizz Hornkamp. And how do you spell his name? J I double Z. So which, it's, uh, really, it's really it's like really it really it is. is. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you ever, t- yeah, I'd love the idea of someone like this actually going to uh, live and work in an English-speaking country with no idea what their name means. <laughs> I mean, he just couldn't leave the country. No, like no. maybe he could he go couldn't to get on the plane anywhere. Imagine going through customs and the people at the other side of the desk just dissolving in laughter. <laughs> It, it reminds me of this SP politician who, who went to the European Union. His name was Tini Cox, mm, yes. but you spell it as T-I-N-Y. Mm-hmm. So whenever you saw his name somewhere, it just says Tiny Cox. Yeah, if you see a yeah. caption on him when he's talking, it just comes up on the screen, <laughs> Tiny Cox. Yeah. Yeah. Dutch names uh, need to be stopped, that's, uh, that's <laughs> for sure. I have a whole list of these. Someday I will publish an article on ridiculous Dutch <laughs> names, because I've been collecting a list for years. It must be a very long list. It's a very long Did list. Did you have Tiny Cox already? Tiny Cox is in there, yeah. And Molly, uh, why are you the, an international fashion advisor? I actually, week? I'm not sure. How did this become my job title? Yeah, because you tweeted a, a screenshot of your WhatsApp conversation with your friend from, from across the world, who asked you... You asked her to judge your new dress or something. Yeah, I, oh yeah, I bought new pants and I ah. sent her a photo of them. So the delivery driver arrived and I like took the package and I went upstairs and then was trying on the pants and was sending photos to my friend. And this, of course, turned into one of these situations where my friend was like, oh, can you show them, take a photo from this angle, take a photo from that angle. So like 40 minutes later, Niels comes upstairs and is like, are you alive? Like, are you coming downstairs <laughs> for dinner? I'm still just trying on one single pair of pants. That's that's why this okay. is my title. I don't know. Paul, you busy with uh, polls as well this this week. Yeah, that's true. I went to the Maurits house on uh, Tuesday, I think, or Mm -hmm. Wednesday, one of these days. Um, and uh, the friend with uh, with whom I was going, we were watching the view on Delft, and later we saw the view on Harlem, and we were wondering which view is the best view Ah. of the golden age. Mm. So I set out a a poll on, on Twitter, and uh, what do you think is the best view of the Golden Age? Is it just those two, or are there just other, these other choices? Two. Yeah, it's um, Delft. I can't think what the Harlem one looks like. Off no, I know oh. the view of Delft. Well, so I would, I would go uh, for the view of Delft. Yeah, so it's the view of Delft. No. We're unanimous. My Twitter followers didn't agree with you. Hmm. They so, went with the so view don't of Harlem. I. They went for Harlem. Yeah. Why do you think Harlem is better? The view. Uh, of I like I like this one better because the the clouds the are sky. the sky is yeah. more interesting, and I also like the level of detail here because uh, the, there's just ha- ha- so much stuff happening. There's a huge amount of detail in the view of Delft as well. There's fewer people in it. Like yeah. Fewer people. But, yeah. yeah. 
So I, I like I like this one better. I like the. I mean, you're allowed to be wrong. Sure, of course. There's a lot of windmills in it as well. Maybe it's the windmills. Yeah, it's definitely windmills. Is this building still in existence? Yes, it's the Bafokerk. Oh, okay. So the view of Haarlem by Jakob von Rausdahl, which is safe. Anyone is interested in looking it up in the Maurits house? In the Maurits house. Beautiful painting. Yeah, But yeah, my Twitter followers, 42% of them thought the view on Delft was the best view and 58 the view on Haarlem. So a more decisive result than Brexit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Paul, what is our uh, what is our op-ep of the week? Yeah, I... apparently you guys missed this op-ep, totally but it was yes. huge uh, um, among everybody who is Dutch. Um, it's about the most famous and most beloved Dutch weatherman. His name is Piet Paulusma. Again, I've never heard of him. You never heard of him? I've heard of him. I just didn't know that there was... Uh... Do you watch SBS Sis? No, I just no. live in the Netherlands. I, I think this guy, I think everybody in the country knows this guy. I, I right. can't imagine that somebody doesn't know him. Mm. Gordon. Gordon, yeah, but he's not Dutch. Mm. Um, he works for the SBS TV channel, and he's the only weatherman who gives his forecasts outdoors. I think that's more common in the US, that yeah. the, the weatherman, they stand outside through wind and rain yeah. and storm and tornadoes. Mm. He's the guy who, who does it that way. And he was always traveling across the country for the past 23 years now, and um, he gives his weather forecast at some sort of event. So it's like a, 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 a farmer's fair or a carnival or at the camping, whatever. Um, and it's watched uh, almost uh, by a million people every day um, and because he's Frisian he always ends his weather forecast with the following phrase und morgen right, which means t- till tomorrow right? yes, yes. Yeah. tomorrow yeah. and I think that's the most famous Frisian sentence that we have in the Netherlands apart it from, might it, be apart from it geht on no, it more? might be even more famous than it geht on really yeah okay. but as we know SBSS has been bought by media tycoon John de Mol and in his effort to make SBS great again he is firing all the old SBS people and uh, also Piet Paulusma had to go oh and you know he's that's the, a bummer. Yeah, and he's the most beloved weatherman. So yeah. everybody was outraged that Piet Paulusma was fired. Too right. But immediately Omroep Max, which is the elderly public broadcasting Omroep, uh, mm-hmm. they immediately announced that they are planning to hire him that's for good. the old people. So yeah, that's good. nice. But yeah, yeah Piet Paulusma had to go, and it was one of these things that some things you you think will never change, and yeah. one of them is that Piet Paulusma gives the weather on SBS, but then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's changed, and and you know the the whole your view the view on the world just shifts. This week we talk about uh, Brexit again because it was a very slow news week. So we're because Gordon is not grumpy enough. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about Brexit again. Also what major change a former PVV MP went through and Dick Advocaat's latest endeavour which... Or non-endeavour. Well, non-endeavour, yeah. Um, after the break we will discuss the big demonstration against climate change that has been held in The Hague on Thursday. Last week we talked about the debate in the Tweede Kamer on new proposals to tackle climate change that was scrapped when VVD leader Klaas Dijkhoff refused to attend. Instead, the debate was held this week on Tuesday with the party leaders. Dijkhoff explained what he meant with his notorious Telegraph interview in which he called Rob Jette, leader of D66 and also a member of the coalition, a climate moaner. Dijkhoff said some proposals, such as subsidizing electric cars, are obsolete and he added he thinks plans should be assessed on public support and feasibility. Wow, what a surprise. Labour leader Lodewijk Ascher repeated that Dijkhoff, as the leader of the largest coalition party, shouldn't have criticised the climate accord in the media. GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver proposed a tax on CO2 emission, which is, according to him, the best and fairest way to reduce CO2 emission. Geert Wilders of the PVV called D66 leader Rob Jette a hypocrite after reading a list of the countries he has travelled to by plane, according to his Instagram page. Does Kirk 
Carlos do anything besides just like spend his day on some form of social media? Uh, no, no, he, no. It's just basically Twitter. It's Instagram, and sometimes he uses Photoshop to make horrible, horrible. Fo- oh wow! Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of someone. So, what was uh, Rita's response to the the debate, Paul? Uh, the Prime Minister said that there are no taboos and that we're going to look at every proposal. So they can do nothing. Mm, yep, probably. <laughs> Economic Affairs Minister Erik Wiebes was also present added that uh, they are open to all solutions. Uh, On the topic of the CO2 tax, Mark Rutte said that he fears that the companies would be uh, likely to move abroad to countries that have less or no CO2 tax whatsoever instead of innovating new solutions that will emit less CO2, as Groenlinks uh, is saying. Yeah, but I suppose it's better than saying that you're going to stay and then sending a memo by text saying, actually, you know what? We're not going to, which is what happened (laughs) with the dividend tax. Exactly. So Rutte doesn't really really have a very good uh, leg to stand on here, I don't think. Um, Rutte also said he hopes to reach consensus on the plans in Parliament in April and May after experts have finished calculating the costs of the plan, which is expected on March 13th, and that's only two days before the provincial elections. Mm. So that's going to be that's going to throw a spanner in the works. Probably, yeah. yeah. So the upshot of all this really is that there's uh, yeah, almost nothing's changed. Has it? Dagoff has stirred up the hornet's nest a bit. That's caused a bit of friction in the coalition. They've all sat down, had a cup of coffee with a ridiculously small piece of cake, and uh, <laughs> decided they're all friends again. Mm, yeah, and nothing's, probably. Nothing's yeah. really any different, except of course the voters are even more sort of cynical and disillusioned by the whole process yeah. than they were, or slightly more than they and, were before. And the debate was basically just uh, the the MPs asking them, "What do you think is the best solution? What do you?" You want to do yeah. what, what do you think of this but or every time the response was we ha- don't have the calculations yet we have, don't have the result of the calculations so we can't answer this question yeah. yet and that but was basically what the whole debate was so it feels to me like it was more Dykov kind of putting down a marker throwing up a balloon which is going to come back during the election campaign you know when these costings come back he's going to say Zivel you know yeah. I told you it was too expensive <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, that, exactly. and, and I've been proved right yeah yeah Four British nationals have lost their battle to retain their European citizenship after the United Kingdom leaves the EU on March 29th, which is 50 days away and counting. Not that anyone's (laughs) counting. I am. The Quartet wanted the Dutch courts to refer their case to the European Court of Justice on a fast-track procedure. But the appeal court in Amsterdam said it had no jurisdiction to decide their case and said they should take it to the court for foreigners' rights. All four Britons will be personally affected by the loss of EU citizenship and argued they'd received, quote, incorrect and misleading information from the Dutch immigration service END. Their lawyer, Christian Albedink-Time of law firm Brandeis, said there was no time left to receive answers to preliminary questions and the window of opportunity had passed. How did the uh, plaintiffs react to the verdict? It was largely expected, I think, it's the outcome they thought would happen. Uh, Michael Pye, who's an author, said the attempt had been worthwhile nevertheless because it was about the fundamental issue of, quote, whether being a European has meant anything for the past 40 years. He also said he was grateful for the generosity of the Dutch government with its interim arrangement for British resident compared to the toxic fog pouring out of London, as well as not mine. <laughs> okay, so he's grateful for the generosity, but he's still suing the Dutch government. Well, no, he's trying to get the Dutch courts to pass it up to the European court. He oh, wasn't actually having was it. Yeah, they had yeah. no beef with the axe to grind with the Dutch government. Mm. Yeah. So how's Brexit going, Gordon? Uh, absolutely terribly, as always. And uh, I mean, has Don- it ever been going not absolutely terribly? No, since the vote happened, it's been going just steadily worse. Okay. And uh, all the optimism has now just uh, evaporated from, from the situation. You, what, what strikes me is you don't hear Brexiteers anymore going on about the Sunday Toplands. They're just saying let's get on with it because they don't have no. They're backed into a corner. They have no idea what to do. Uh, but D- Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council, has just lost patience with it now. He caused a lot of opheft this week when he said in a press conference there should be a special 
special place in hell for the people who backed Brexit without any kind of plan. Which, which triggered is all of them? Yeah, which triggered a lot of angry responses from Tory MPs because they are the ones who are leaving the European Union and don't have any kind of plan. And the ones who accuse the European le leaders of being drunk, uh, neo-Nazis and... Uh, yes, and unreasonable and, and intransigent. Tyrannic. But Tusk has just got the look of the man whose last fuck just flew out the door and he's got no intention <laughs> of going after it anymore. He's just had enough. And it just proves again that uh, among the many things that Brexit has destroyed, it's been the, the British sense of proportion and, and embarrassment and self-awareness. So, yeah, Brexit is a car crash and it's about to hit the wall. Yeah. I've got nothing else to say. <laughs> Me neither. So in and also, of course, we should be saying that uh, the Brexit could affect the Netherlands because we learned this week that possibly around 50 medicines may not be available in the short term after Brexit because the patents haven't been sorted out. This is 50 medicines that are imported from Britain to the Netherlands. Yeah, including like life-saving drugs. Yeah, life-saving I mean... drugs. So people who have life-threatening illnesses will be seriously not sleeping at night because Brexit is such a disaster. And, so uh, thanks, UK. Yeah, but, but uh, Bruno Browns, the junior health minister, says there will be... Uh, exceptions made so that the remaining drugs can be imported from Britain. He hasn't quite said what these measures are, but I think I have more confidence in the Dutch government to come up with some kind of contingency plan than the British one. I mean, there are already tons of illegal drugs pouring in. Yeah, what's a shipment of anti-diabetes medicine here or there? That's what they need to do. They just need to get the drug dealers in Brabant to import them and they'll pass through customs without a hitch. Yeah. That's the plan. That you already drew up a better plan of, on Brexit than the UK government. I mean, it relies on drug dealers and, 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 and murderers and international gangsters. But and that's pirates, probably, I mean. And, but they're probably and, still, people, and worse, people from Brabant. <laughs> yeah, but they're still more decent people than the, than the British government, I think, who are negotiating wow, Brexit. Gordon is really in a mood today. Yeah, Brabant will save Brexit. <laughs> And what was the best news story of the week? Yeah, there were a lot of ophefs, and this was one of them. Yeah, but, but this we, is the best but this, story. This goes this beyond ophefs. This is why yeah. nobody was paying attention to the weatherman, because of this. Mm. The weatherman was announced on, I think it was Monday, and yeah. half an hour later, this, this news, was, yeah. news came out. I think yeah. that completely eclipsed it. Yeah. 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 A former PVV politician has converted to Islam. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Can we say that again? So this is the best loud, louder for the people at the back. <laughs> Joram van Klaveren, who left the PVV in 2014 and formed his own party, was writing a book which was supposed to be critical of Islam. But, as he told the NRC on Sunday, his view on Islam changed while writing and he is now formally converted. If you believe in one God and that Muhammad was a prophet alongside Jesus and Moses, then you are a Muslim, von Klaveren told the paper. During his seven years as an MP for the anti-Muslim party, he was an outspoken critic of Islam, commissioning texts with phrases such as Islam is a lie and the Quran is poison. It's, it's just so insane. <laughs> it's it the just... best story of the So movie. he's now drunk his own poison, isn't yeah. he? And he's not the first PVV politician to make this move, is no! he? No! In 2013, a former councillor for the PVV in The Hague launched a political party founded on Islamic principles, Arnaud van Dorn converted to Islam after being thrown out of the PVV at the end of 2011 <laughs> for financial irregularities. Also not the first PVV. No, no. Thrown out for just, isn't, just, isn't it just ironic that Geert Wilders apparently is the most Islamizing yeah. fact? He is, he is the greatest radicalizing influence. I Will think, there in, be in, calls in the for why the PVV is radicalizing yeah. so many people? This and, is what I want to know. Yeah, and will anyone call for Geert Wilders to be deported back to Morocco? Yeah, exactly. There is, he did have, I mean, a solidly hilarious quote which is, is that he described the situation with von Klaveren as a vegan working in a slaughterhouse which I thought was a funny commentary yeah. he did say that he had no idea that the PVV would become a breeding ground for Islam which I don't think any of us expected <laughs> but that was an unexpected plot twist this is the Fair. world that we live in 
Tilburg local council and NS have put together a compensation package for over 800 jobless people who were exposed to the highly toxic chromium-6 paint broadcaster NOS reports. The affected workers, who were all unemployed, were taking part in a reintegration project which ran between 2004 and 2011. They were put to work in a workshop in Tilburg where they had to remove paint from all trains destined for the real museum. The paint contained chromium-6, which can cause cancer. Although the dangers of working with the paint were signalled at the time, they were not told of the risks and did not wear protective clothing or masks. Last week a committee investigating the scandal said Tilburg Council, the Dutch Real Museum and NS subsidiary NetTrain are responsible for the damage done to their health. Tilburg local council and NS announced this week they will give 7,000 euros to each of the people who have been in contact with Chromium 6 and between 5,000 to 40,000 on top of that for people who have fallen ill. Some 70 people are thought to have developed health problems. How did they do this? They knew that this was a problem. Yeah, and the thing is, it was a reintegration program, so these people were basically forced to... They kind of had to work. They had to work here because otherwise they would lose their benefits, which Mm. makes it even even worse. Yeah. It's, it's almost like slavery, right? Yeah. When you yeah, expose your people to so much risk. Yeah. yeah, and I have to say, and this has been—it's taken a long time to reach this ruling, hasn't it? And um, I have to say, I mean, even forty thousand euros might sound like a big figure, but if you're seriously ill for, and you might be for several years, it's it's, then it's a drop nothing. in the ocean. Yeah. yeah, and on top of that, your medicines will probably not come through customs right. in the coming years. Yeah. So, yeah. Disastrous. I mean, Molly is distraught. I am. I was so sad when I saw this this morning. Only one place to start the sports news this week, and that's with the growing speculation in the last few weeks that Feyenoord might have had a replacement lined up for their manager Giovanni Fran Bronkhorst, who's leaving at the end of the season. Molly, any guesses who this might be? Dick Lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dick Advocat. A lot of talk um, in the last week or so that Dick Advocat was more or less a shoo-in to replace Van Bronckhorst. He had been due to retire at the end of last season, but after Sparta's yeah, relegation... He had been due to retire in the past five years, well, ten yes, years, it, twenty years. It's one of several uh, abandoned retirements that he's had. <laughs> but after Sparta relegated and lost in the playoffs to FC Emmen, the mighty FC Emmen, he didn't want to finish on a low, so he took up the reins at FC Utrecht in October. Now FC Utrecht is safely ensconced in the top half of the table. There was again talk of uh, Avocat maybe winding his career down, but then the vacancy came up in Rotterdam and immediately everyone linked the job to Advocat. However, Advocat on Friday morning, which is just before we went on air and uh, completely ruined my script, <laughs> has <laughs> come out and day. said, yeah. and, and, and Molly's whole month basically, <laughs> exactly. has come out and said he is not going to take the job up because uh, he says there's been too many negative reactions to his potential appointment of Feyenoord. He said, quote, it is a great honour to be asked, but there is such negativity surrounding my possible appointment that I can't see myself doing it. Um, so the 71-year-old, who was seen as the only realistic candidate for the job, it looks as if... Um, he's you know, actually going to retire. And he's actually going to retire, wow. yes. Uh, so you uh, can yeah. put a good dick down. Yeah. <laughs> it looks as if we, we may have seen the last of the dick pics. Uh, oh, that's sad. so sad. sad. It's, it's the end yeah. of an era. And I think we need to start um, a petition online, actually, to, to, yeah. to, to get I Dick Advocat to take over yeah, at Rotterdam. We kind of a future without the UK and the European Union and without Dick Advocat in agree football management. Can, can't yeah. we just blackmail him with some Amazon stuff or something? I'm sure there must be something somewhere he can mm. be blackmailed with, but who knows what it might be. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was some tennis stuff, huh, Gordon? Yeah, Kiki Bertens won a title. She's oh. 27-year-old from Wageningen. Claims her eighth title on the professional tennis tour when she beat the Croatian Donna Vekic in the St. Petersburg Open uh, at the weekend, which keeps her in eighth place in the ATP rankings, although she's closed the gap on Angelique Kerber and Yelena Svitolina. Yeah, and there was also a setback for 
Prince Bernard. Prince Bernard, yes. Our thoughts and prayers this week are with the uber-privileged property tycoon and minor royal uh, <laughs> after the government said it's not going to give him 5 million euros to upgrade Sunfort Racetrack. Oh, um, how sad. Yeah. Sports Minister Bruno Brown said that staging Formula One races wasn't a worthwhile use of taxpayers' money, partly because events owned by an American company called Liberty Media. The Zandvoort circuit has an agreement in principle to stage a Grand Prix for each of the next three years, but it needs to come up with a financial plan by March the 31st. Oh, but, Brexit. But yeah, two days after Brexit. Mm. So yeah, can Zandvoort do a better job of coming up with financial plans than the British <laughs> government? This is a big question. <laughs> the cost of staging each race is put between 30 and 40 million euros. But what has Sir Prince Bernard to do with this? Well, he owns Zandvoort ah. Racetrack, so he saw putting Grand Prix racing on as a bit of a money spinner mm-hmm. uh, for him, and uh, obviously it would enhance the value of an asset in his property portfolio. Maybe you can ask his, uh, his poor tenants to, uh, to maybe, pay some yeah, Maybe all those people who are paying him rent in Amsterdam, maybe he can just take a cream off a little bit of the, the, their money to pay Max Verstappen's yeah. appearance fee. I don't think five million is a problem for him. It shouldn't be. shouldn't be, no. No. And especially eight. in the Formula One, I mean, so much money. Uh, swims around. Yeah. yeah, and he's got a bit of money in the family, hasn't he, as well? He can hit up the king for a while. <laughs> maybe he should sell some Rubens or something that has been lying around in the palace. Exactly, there must be some old artwork somewhere yeah. in his attic that he can, exactly. uh, can dig out. As I am the official Dutch News Podcast fashion correspondent, I have some fashion news for us. Dutch shoe retail group Van Haren lost its lengthy legal battle with luxury shoe group Louis Vuitton over the use of distinctive red soles on women's footwear. On Wednesday of this week, judges in The Hague upheld a European court ruling which, in 2018, found in favor of the French brand. Louis Vuitton registered the red sole as a trademark in Benelux in 2009. It started the legal action in 2012 when Van Haren bought out a range of shoes designed by actress Halle Berry, which included high-heeled shoes with red soles. The French company said the shoes infringed on the Louboutin trademark and was granted a temporary injunction against the high street staple. So is this finally an end to this ongoing legal battle? We do not know yet. Van God. Haren said in a statement it had taken note of the ruling, which I thought was an interesting phrasing, <laughs> and would decide whether or not to go to appeal. So further steps could be taken. Further steps could be taken. But with this huge... Gordon is way too proud of this yeah. <laughs> We'll be discussing the school children's demonstration against climate change after this word from our sponsors. For over 30 years, Access has been helping internationals settle in the Netherlands. Access is staffed by an all-volunteer team, themselves internationals, who know firsthand about the challenges of settling in a new country. They can answer your questions or guide you to the right resources, and they also offer an on-call counselling service. You can find out more information about Access on their website, access-nl.org, by emailing the helpdesk at helpdesk at access-nl.org, or by dropping into one of their expat centres in The Hague, Utrecht, Amsterdam or Leiden. On Thursday, 15,000 school children from all over the country skipped school to come to The Hague to protest against climate change. In what appears to be a growing movement that started in Sweden, became big in Belgium and now reached the Netherlands, secondary school pupils demand that the government takes real action in order to tackle climate change. However, critics have pointed out that children should be at school, and if they're not, it's simply called truancy. So we ask ourselves the question, should school children be allowed to protest or not? Is it is it's just everything in the world starting in Sweden, becoming big in Belgium, I, and then moving <laughs> out? It appears to be so, yeah. yeah. I mean, Islamic radicalism yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Um, to start with, um, did you guys ever protest against something? Yes. Or in favor of something? Things. Like I've, what? Uh, I protested and got arrested for protesting against the... 
World Bank? The IMF? Was it? Oh, no, I was kind of like an idiot. You just went along and some friends were going. So yeah, you basically. Along. Yeah, yeah. Someone said uh, international banking is bad and you just joined yeah. the band. And I, th- I was like, oh, this seems fine. Someone and then we all got arrested and it yeah. was kind of annoying. Where was this? In DC. In, in Washington, DC. DC. Yeah. Uh, have I protested other stuff? No, I protested against the Iraq war. I'm going to that. The, oh, wow. This, uh, the, first, the first one or the second one? Oh, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> the second one. Yeah. The, 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 the uh, George W. Bush one. Yeah. Actually, I the think... Mission. The sequel. Yeah. I also... Pro- I protested against something else when I was a kid, and I remember Nelson Mandela was there. I maybe was protesting in favor of something. I don't remember. Apartheid? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but there is a picture of like me as like a four year old or five year old next to Nelson Mandela being held yeah. by Nelson Mandela at this like protest. <laughs> really? Yeah, like I was like on my my dad had me on his shoulders, and then like you know I don't know how I, um, exactly this happened. Was he not in prison at the time? No, he was in. This was in. It was. It was during Bill Clinton's <laughs> yeah, presidency because Bill Clinton. Molly was, was arrested, so she was. Just, I was arrested uh, as a four year old. She was also brought to Robben Robin Island. Robin Island, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the only the only Nelson Mandela story I've got is that I saw Nelson Mandela dancing in Bedford one time. Wow, <laughs> that's a better Nelson Mandela story. He went mine. to unveil a statue of an anti-apartheid um, activist who was from Bedford because there was no other reason he'd go to Bedford. Yeah, so why else would it's, you it's go ghastly to town. But uh, sorry to anyone from Bedford who's listening, but it is true. Um, so he went to Bedford and he unveiled this statue, and then afterwards they played some music and Mandela started dancing. That's nice. Yeah. That's uh, that's very nice. Yeah, I just no. wanted to brag that I was uh, one handshake away from Nelson Mandela, but you were actually held. I was held Nelson as Mandela. A child so my Nelson story Mandela. is n- is is not uh, not impressive Paul, have anymore. Have you ever protested anything? No, but there was a big protest when I was in high school. It was about the thousand tachtig uren norm. It was about uh, the government uh, had a plan to um, uh, to 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 make sure that students in secondary school have one thousand and eighty hours of school mm-hmm. in a year, um, but that could mean that schools were just um, uh, organized a homework class mm. where just people, students were put in a classroom and had to do their homework. And even no instruction. No instructions yeah. or hadn't actually, um, uh, uh, there, there was no teacher teaching them anything. Yeah. So, so um, your answer, your solution to this was to cut the number of uh, hours in school even more by taking a day off. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I didn't go there, but, oh, okay. but a lot of students went yeah. there. But, yeah. um, you know, it's all... It's quite similar because mm. a lot of them were actually passionate about it. A lot of them just wanted to have a day off, and a lot of them just wanted to have both. Yeah. So it's basically the same as yeah. There was this a bit when now. I protested the whatever. Clearly, I cared a whole lot about this protest, but it was very <laughs> much like other people I know around me are doing this. So let's like go protest yeah. this thing, and then I quickly realized you're on a banner. Pro- yeah, yeah. Protesting is kind of annoying, and yeah. like you're cold and outside a lot, and like it's not my thing. Mm. Yeah, and it doesn't actually achieve you a lot. The, the, the lesson I learned from the, the Iraq War protest is that you, the Iraq War still went ahead, so therefore it was. A complete, it was a complete waste a, of time. A, a purely yeah, yeah. Um, symbolic Although gesture. The yeah. the my lovely uh, Dutch partner had a long long line of of protesting all sorts of stuff as as one does when one is a left leaning political activisty kind of things. And he has a whole bunch of his old like protest signs and stuff. And he's also been arrested a few times for like protesting. Hmm. I don't know evictions of squats and like all these like other things. Hmm. So. Yeah. Right. So how did all this uh, kick off? Anyway, how do we get to this point of uh, massive school children bunking off for the day? It all started with a girl in Sweden. Her name is Greta Thunberg. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. 
Um, and she decided to protest against climate change and she refused to go to school as long as her government didn't do anything to tackle the climate change. Uh, this protest spread around Europe and most notably to Belgium, where four Thursday in a row now, ten thousands of students go out on the streets of Brussels in a protest against climate change. Uh, we've seen similar demonstrations in Australia and Switzerland and, uh, well, obviously also in Sweden. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk at that when that was going on. Why weren't the Dutch uh, students doing the same thing? Because there was only, there were, I think there were some small protests, but it was really just a couple of hundred. It was just yeah. very small yeah. and uh, all very locally so there yeah. wasn't like a big um, uh, centralized uh, um, protest organized but now a group of students of the Dalton School in uh, The Hague they decided to take Belgium's example and started organizing uh, a similar protest on the Malieveld in The Hague that's the sort of the big field that is often used uh, for, for protests and yeah. demonstrations in The Hague yeah. and uh, on Wednesday 3,000 students were expected in The Hague but eventually 15,000 has had come to The Hague so that's a uh, well, quite an upturn. Yeah, it's a big turnout. Big turnout. Big turnout. Totally. Uh, and NS even said that trains to The Hague were uh, considerably busier than usual. So it was really, uh, yeah, a lot of people came to The Hague. Yeah. yeah. So what are they protesting about exactly, Paul? Um, in general, it's about tackling climate change. The Belgian protesters, uh, for example, think that uh, the government is doing way too little to tackle climate change. Uh, one of the organizing students in Belgium said that uh, in order to get things done, you need to break the rules a little, which is I think, very Belgian. Uh, mm. Very Belgian, yes. and also <laughs> kind of the point of of, uh, of protesting. Yeah. Um, and they want to the government to carry out the, the agreements that were made in the Paris Climate Agreement uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, Stein Warmenhover, that's the, uh, uh, one of the organizers uh, in The Hague, uh, he said that uh, school children are the ones that uh, who has to live w- uh, on this planet for the next 50 years, and therefore it's also their responsibility to demand that uh, something uh, has to be done in, uh, on climate change. Um, I interviewed a guy, a water management expert this week for a... Willem-Alexander? Yes, exactly. (laughs) um, For a story. And he he said two things. One, that uh, because of climate change in 500 years, the Netherlands will not exist as a country. Mm. And also, which... You know, we'll make for a good headline, but I don't know, like, how, like, you know, 500 years is a long way in the future. But the thing that he said that really got to me was is that he would tell his children, so he has, like, three sort of mm, 9, 12, and 15 or something like this kids. He would tell his kids to, like, keep living in Delft and buy a house here, but would tell them to tell their children that they should move to Germany and move inland because the water (laughs) is, by that point, by the time that they're adults, the flooding will be so bad here that it won't be habitable anymore. Yeah. If nothing... If nothing is done. done. Yeah. 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 One of the things um, that happened uh, on the morning this March was there was a letter by 350 climate scientists and they said supporting uh, the children's move because there was a big, obviously there was this big discussion about whether they should take... off school and lots of politicians particularly um, uh, oddly in the, in the coalition the Faith Day Party saying they should stay in school and the, the, the scientists coming out and saying actually no this is a very too important a cause yeah. to, uh, you know, to, to just dismiss as saying yeah you're skipping school yeah. Yeah. So are kids allowed to protest? Like, what Are there legal protections for this? How does this work, Paul? Well, officially, the Ministry of Education does not regard a protest as a valid reason to skip school. However, schools are allowed to give their students free time from school for extracurricular activities. So if the schools regard this as an important cause mm. or uh, something like that, then they can give their students uh, uh, free time. So it really depends on the school um, and if they regard it as a learning activity. Uh, the NOS asked a number of schools if they had a problem with their students going to The Hague and apparently not many schools have problems with it. Uh, many schools, however, uh, had come up with some sort of assignment which students had to make before they were allowed to uh, to uh, to skip their classes. Um, for example, they had to write a motivational letter or something about the climate and about the protest, which mm-hmm. I 
think is 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 one of the is is a very good way to 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 do because I mean the danger is of course that a lot of students just want to have to take the day off and if you um, let them um, do some extra homework or write this letter then uh, you know they actually have to do something in, yeah. uh, before they are allowed to leave you had a you did you where did I see this on Twitter that you sent this to me or to somebody about the teacher sort of grading these like motivation letters yeah. what was this um, uh, this teacher was grading the motivational letters and one of the students was I think very lazy, but also very smart. And he um, wrote on his paper that um, this paper, this piece of paper, mm-hmm. is bad for the environment. Please erase this uh, sentence written in pencil and uh, reuse, reuse it again. Yeah, 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 very good. <laughs> and yeah. that, w- that was his entire motivational. It's a good. I mean, <laughs> solid. Right, to solid the point. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the point, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's smart. But yeah. 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 yeah, I read about one one dad who ma- who made his um, his son or daughter um, write a uh, motivational letter or do a test paper justifying why they want to go in the protest, and then. Uh, gave them a score before they before they, before they let them um, have the day off school. Mm. To, said oh, I gave my kid an eight. I don't know how quite what what his criteria were for that assessment. <laughs> he just gave it an eight. He just gave yeah. it a random yeah. number. Yeah. yeah, but for for example, for school trips, that's that's also. I mean, you leave the school, you skip classes, for example. But it's part of the part of the. Yeah. It's a learning yeah. activity. Yeah, so that way, it is it is allowed it is allowed by the government. So yeah, it's it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a it's a valuable lesson for 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 children because you know the right for, of demonstration is an important uh, human mm. right, a democratic right. So it is, you could argue that it is just part of, uh, you know, um, the task of a school to teach uh, children in, uh, in 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 this area. Yeah. 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 But, but the um, uh, politicians like the Minister of Education took a different view, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Ari Slop, he's the Minister of Education, he said that he thinks that pupils are allowed to protest, but not on the school time. Of course. Um, he says that school has priority over everything. And also, um, he was joined by uh, Minister of Economic Affairs, Erik Wiebes. There he is again. I think yeah. it's the second he, he time. Popped up in, yeah. He's really popular. Yeah. Yeah. Him, him and Klaus Dijkhoff just seem to be running the cabinet single-handedly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true, yeah. Uh, well, he Erik Wiebes said that he thinks children learn more in school than on the Malieveld. That was what he said. Which, mm. uh, hmm. Okay. But Prime Minister Mark Rutte said it's fantastic that children go out and demonstrate and, uh, and show that they are involved uh, with and concerned about society and the world at large. So, uh, yeah, Mark Rutte surprisingly had a very positive view on this. Uh, but he also pointed out that the protest was, in fact, unnecessary because the government, in his view, uh, is already doing a lot in order to tackle climate change. Did he go into detail of what the government is doing to tackle um, climate change? No, no, he didn't. Yeah. There was a lot of support from, like, left-wing politics, Rob Yetta and Yessa Klaver and uh, the rest of these sort of like yeah. left-leaning politicians were mm-hmm. all pretty well in favor. And, and the uh, the protesters of the organi- organizers of the demonstration, they specifically asked politicians not to join the protest because they didn't want to um, uh, want them to draw all the attention to them. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they were not allowed on the Mali field, yeah. which was uh, pretty nice. Which yeah, and I mean for Rob Yetta, it's probably sad that he couldn't hang out with his friends all day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some but there the was probably older than him. There was uh, yeah, there was some uh, there was some more vocal uh, opposition, right? Yes, Geert Wilders, and of course, in particular, Thierry Baudet, oh, were God, opposed. we can't get through a single podcast oh, without talking no, about that's him. that's true. Uh, Baudet accused uh, schools and teachers of forcing their opinion on their students, and he said that schools should be uh, politically neutral and not brainwash their students. But I thought Thierry Baudet is also on the record as saying uh, frequently that Dutch education is terrible, so he should be glad that the students are taking a day off school and doing something else. Yeah, indeed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, this is, it very appears to be like a student-organized uh, protest, so I'm not really sure what he's complaining about brainwashing. Yeah, before. yeah. Maybe he's, he's maybe he's angry about uh, students forcing their opinions on teachers, who will then force it back on the students. <laughs>
students. I don't know. It's like it's one great big echo chamber, which is a concept that Tio Bode is very well versed in. No. Yes. Um, did they get other support from other people? Yeah, as uh, Gordon said, uh, 350 scientists wrote an open letter in Trouw newspaper in support of the climate protesters. Uh, they wrote that, according to UN reports, there's a real danger that the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement will not be reached and that, therefore, the message of the student is, uh, well, is the truth. Uh, also, Algemeen Dagblad's front page said, um, Youths want the future, and the editor-in-chief wrote in his commentary that he and his newspaper support the climate protest. And what's uh, what's the opposition got to say about this? If I, aside from cherry bode, cherry bodeing. <laughs> well, they said uh, skipping school is wrong, especially for such a ridiculous topic as uh, climate change, and that uh, the students were brainwashed by the media, the teachers, and their schools. Ironically, these are the same people who very often claim that freedom of speech is the most important human right, mm-hmm. but uh, it it only counts apparently when uh, when they agree with the message. Uh, they pointed out at uh, they pointed at several videos that emerged on the internet uh, I think some of them were Belgian and some of them were, were, were from the Netherlands mm. of teachers who were asked what if students want to protest against for example immigration a right wing topic uh, and some of the teachers said in front of the class that they wouldn't allow the students to protest against that topic because well contrary to climate change it wasn't a real issue and I think that's really the problem here now it's not about the protest itself it's about what they are protesting that's for yeah. and and I think that's the that's the real problem here but to be fair the Protests against immigration have been organised on the Malifelt in the last uh, couple of uh, year or so, and uh, about two hundred people turned up. So yeah. maybe that's more the problem. Actually. Yeah, you sure. can have a protest, fine, but will you find fifteen thousand people? To turn sure, up but it was a hypothetical against, situation, uh, yeah. and if this teacher then says no, I wouldn't allow my students to to go there. Then I think I think that's that's a problem. Either way, you think that students yeah. should be allowed to protest or not. Uh, but it shouldn't depend on the topic. No, it shouldn't. But, but again, as you say, it's hypothetical. But in practical terms, would anyone ever organise sure. such a protest? And would masses of students turn out on it? Probably not. No. Well, well, I would maybe say we should test that. To, to this end, I think that actually I don't know that I agree with you, Paul, because I think that like there is a valid concern. I guess that like you know if you're protesting something that's considered serious and life altering, that it's okay then to like miss school. But if you're protesting like. Uh, I don't know, there not being enough chicken nuggets served in the cafeteria or something, that that, this is, like, frivolous. And so I think that, like, for a lot of people, while immigration may be a serious issue, I mean, I think most objective people would say that climate change is much more of an existential threat to society than, than, than immigration is. I mean, Hurt Builders would disagree with me, but I think he's wrong. Yeah, sure, but then it's the question, why why should anybody be allowed to determine uh, which topic someone cares about is more yeah, important no, than no, the no, other? No, no, so it's true. I would be totally open to it, to be honest, but I would doubt very strongly if you could actually practically get that kind of protest organised yeah. on that scale. Yeah, I would sure, like to say, I'd like to see somebody try. I really yeah, would, me too, honestly. me too. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't happen, but I mean, no. it's, it's, it's exactly hypothetical. Exactly, that's the point, I think. But there was, like, there was yeah. also some like people who were like sort of... Uh, protesting because they were just sort of or they were opposed to this protest because they were just sort of claiming these kids wanted a day off to skip school which I mean it was cold yesterday and they were outside and as I had mentioned before protesting is like kind of a garbage thing to do because mm. you just like stand around and be cold or wet if it yeah. starts raining so if, if they really just want to do I think it's much school. more comfortable to just like hang out in your warm classroom yeah and well, they, they could have done it in May or June if they really just wanted a nice right. day off right so I, I'm gonna um, uh, bring in my experience with the, with the demonstration I just mentioned with the th- th- uh, 1080 norm um, a lot of people were really 
passionate about it and really felt that they should demonstrate against this. Uh, but there were also a lot of people who just wanted to have a day off and yeah. wanted to go to Amsterdam. And I think um, uh, if you look at some of the uh, opponents, they claim that 100% of these children, they just want to have a day off from school. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the other side, they say, no, 100% of these children are really determined yeah. about this uh, about this topic. Probably the truth is somewhere in somewhere the middle. In the middle. There is probably a, a, a group that is really passionate about it. There's probably a group that just wants to have a day off. And there's probably a group that thinks both things is, is a positive thing. And there's probably some kids as well who just want a day off, but actually when they turned up the protest, they got caught up in the message and they will go on to become climate change activists, yeah. which that, is, that, uh, that, I would that say, might not also a bad thing. I mean, yeah. I think that, that uh, your approximation is probably true for all like protests, that like mm-hmm. most protests are organized by a core group of people who are really passionate in it and they sort of like... And then there is a bandwagon that just yeah, uh, exactly. joins them. Um, were you in the Hague, uh, in the center of the city centre? I didn't go the into the city centre yesterday. Well, actually, no. uh, I was there, I was walking around, I was just curious to see and I was walking in the city center and uh, the, the Malifeld uh, thing was still going on and there was already a lot of students in the city center. So there was a group of people that weren't that interested. Mm. But when I went to the Malifeld, the whole Malifeld was packed. So there's there if you're not interested, then you don't go to the Malifeld. Yeah, you, you take a selfie uh, to, mm. to prove that you were there. there but then, you, and then you go. Then you, yeah. then you go. So... Again, I think there is, uh, uh, it's somewhere, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah so, I, I feel very good in general about uh, the fact that we live in a society and a city where this kind of t- protest is organized and tolerated and valued. I think that's a great thing for democracy and yeah. freedom of, uh, sure. of expression. Yeah. yeah, I think almost that what Paul said earlier is the more important thing that like you're teaching young people to participate in civil society mm. in a way that is positive and beneficial and is not just like yelling at people on Twitter to express your opinion kind of stuff but that like you can protest that these are things that they can organize that this is a good way yeah. to like participate and it's in democracy and it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. regulated yeah. to a degree right they're relatively safe like I think overall like this is a very positive thing and like maybe you know the youth aren't the, the, the kids these days aren't so bad I guess that's yeah. my takeaway from this yeah and it's, I suppose yeah, it's interesting the people who said this protest is wrong they shouldn't be off school but also the people who tend to uh, constantly c- complain about the youth of today being apathetic and never bothering uh, to, to look beyond their playstations and their mobile phones. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of uh, hypocrisy in this in yeah. this debate. Yeah. We should also mention some of the uh, protest signs that... Uh, the, the there were some pretty good protest signs. kids made, because uh, I had a good laugh when I was uh, scrolling through these photos, because some of them were really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah this, this is the thing with modern protests, isn't it? To, who, people compete to have the funniest, most satirical uh, signs. Yeah, one of uh, one of them was, for example, um, I'm sure the dinosaurs thought they had time too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if the climate were a bank, it would already have been saved. And I also saw uh, climate change is worse than homework, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is true. That's yeah, accurate. Definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So some good banners among the uh, yeah. in the crowd. There. What I stand for is what I stand on. Yeah, so yeah, for, so that's a, a couple of times. Too, yeah. yeah. It's a good slogan, isn't it? And one that just said, one that, one that just said unfuck the world. <laughs> also, yeah. I mean, that, you know, you could just take that to almost any protest. Uh, <laughs> one, it's a it's a combo sign. I like yeah. this group group sign. Mm. My personality might be fake, but climate change isn't, <laughs> and I like that one too. Yeah. 
Yeah. There was also, I mean, speaking of some sort of funny bits about this, there was uh, some commentary on Twitter, Paul, about like how afterwards a lot of these kids went to McDonald's and Burger King for uh, for some lunch or some snacks. Yeah. yeah. And people were commenting, of course, that these were not places that are known for their like action on on yeah. saving yeah. the on world. Small basically. ecological footprints. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. yeah exactly. But to be fair, that they, they were just hungry by that yeah. point. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's come where on. you go yeah. when you're a teenager. And, 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 and another... there was also I saw someone posted a picture um, of some like rubbish in the street and said uh, oh look look at all the mess these people left behind and it turned out that was a picture that had been taken like three months ago yeah. <laughs> or something it's one of those classic you know yeah. fake news uh, uh, and a lot of kids were asked uh, uh, how many times do you go on holiday and do you take the plane and uh, all of them said yeah we go three times a, a mm-hmm. year on holiday yeah, we fly, to, to, Spain, fly yeah. to Spain and whatever yeah. so there's still a lot of work to do but uh, but I mean a lot of the oppo- opponents they uh, they took this as an example and as an argument against this uh, climate uh, protest right. but I mean or that somehow you have to like live your life completely perfectly in yeah. order to be able to complain about something. Yeah, if you want to be a socialist, you have to eat dirt. Otherwise yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Or like be willing to just give your money to any sort of drug addict that walks up to you on the street. And otherwise yeah. you're not a good socialist, which like this is just a false like argument. Yeah. So uh, I think that's uh, all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leaving us a rating. My thanks to uh, Molly Quell and Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. So we got a uh, we got a message on Twitter from someone who was asking us to review a uh, strope waffle liqueur. Oh yeah, we did. And oh. I think we should do a podcast during which we uh, we review Dutch liquor and who uh, so if any of our listeners are are into this, please like send us a message or send us a tweet. Particularly any of our listeners who actually work at um, yeah, any of these companies. We're gonna, we would really uh, like to get this yeah. like sponsored. That would be great. Or if you like work at or own a bar that would be willing to host us, mm. we're happy to like give you guys a shout out. We can come record there. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but if you have an idea to which liquors that you guys would like us to try to taste test for, during this podcast, uh, can, can we ban Advocat though from the office? No, oh, no, 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 no. Advocat <laughs> is like totally at the top of the list. I'll, also, I, I, I hate love an all these strong liquors. So oh, yeah, I, I want to ban everything. So, so many like Geneva flavors and stuff. So yeah, so send us your duchest liquor suggestions and we're going to, uh, maybe we'll do this as the last podcast before the summer break. Just like get real shitty and <laughs> review liquors. It's going to be great. It's going to be a plan. It's going to be great.